You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Uh, Today, as Elliot said, we're going to start a new message series out of the book of Psalms. Uh, We're going to be talking about the topic of prayer out of that book. But before we get into the message, I've got a couple of prayer requests of my own. First, I want to thank you for praying for our family as we traveled to Canada this past week. Um, I will get it together, but um, um, many of you know my dad was just put in hospice. So the good thing is, we got there in time, uh, say our goodbyes, he was alert, uh, he was able to have actually several good conversations. Um, he, he continues to decline. But He's at peace, and he is more than ready uh, to see Jesus. So just uh, pray for our family. Uh, Pray particularly for my mom as she begins to adjust to uh, life without her husband of almost 65 years. It's a big adjustment. So that's the only tearful and personal prayer request. The second one is for us as a church. Um, So... Many of you know we've, we've finished the renovation of the student side of what used to be the kids' building, kind of the, the front half of that building. By the way, if you haven't seen that renovated space, just pop over there some Sunday. Uh, it's really, really amazing, uh, and the students are making good use of that already. So many of you, now that we're kind of finished that uh, process, I know you've been asking, so what about the back half of the building? Many of you know that Uh, That's where we plan to eventually construct our office space. Uh, We still don't have office space for most of us on staff, so that's what we plan to put in the back half of that building. So uh, we are working on what that might look like. And so the prayer request is this, is just pray as we uh, get a lot of input this summer. We're going to be talking to a number of people inside Seabreeze, a number of people outside Seabreeze experts to try to figure out what it should look like, um, how we might proceed So you can expect to hear something over the summer or the fall about the plans, but just pray that as we get input in the coming months that uh, we'd be able to hear clearly from God and discern uh, what it is that he might want us to do in that regard. So let's go ahead and get into the message for today. Um, You can be, you know, if you're taking notes, just get out your message outline or log on through the app uh, to the outline. Last month, um, my wife answered her phone and I heard the words, oh no which informed me that bad news was coming. Turns out one of our grandchildren was being transported to the emergency room at Children's Hospital of Orange County. So my wife asked anything we could do. At that time, there was nothing we could do. So after she hung up the phone, what did we do? We prayed. Now, the reason is pretty obvious. Our grandchild needed God's help. Chalk is an amazing hospital, but our life is in God's hands, and so we needed God's help. And honestly, we needed help. We needed to find something solid to hold on to as our world was shaking with fear and anxiety. Now, the good news is after a night uh, at Chalk, she began to recover and she's completely fine. But prayer is what we tend to do when the ground under us shakes. We pray for help. We pray to, to get our bearings and attach our souls to something that's more stable than this world. Even people who don't normally pray will often cry out 
to God for help when it gets bad enough. Now, the book of Psalms, which is going to be our guide in this series, is the guidebook of prayer for the people of God. If you want to learn how to pray, Psalms is your book. You can find it right in the middle of the Bible. It's the biggest book in the Bible. You cannot miss it. This book contains prayers that were inspired by God, and they're carved out of the unshakable nature of God himself. These are prayers that were not formed in a moment of quiet reflection. For the most part, these prayers were crafted in the crucible of temptation and death and great personal failure and tremendous persecution and great loss. As you read these prayers, you discover that oftentimes the one doing the praying, the ground under them is shaking as they pray. And these are not one-sided prayers spoken by people to God. They are part of a conversation. They are conversational prayers. They, they are responses to the God who has already started the conversation with us. So prayer is not a, a spiritual poem crafted by a person wanting to express themselves to God. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is part of the back-and-forth nature of any conversation that, that takes place in all real relationships. And as such, prayer is not always neat and tidy. It can be kind of messy. And you'll notice this as you read through the Psalms, the different prayer, prayers of each Psalm. Sometimes the prayers of the Psalms, they, they take on the tone of, a, of an argument as the one who's doing the praying struggles with God and what he is doing or maybe not doing. Sometimes it is a prayer of gratitude in response to what God has done. Sometimes it's a response of tremendous faith. Other times it's a response, it's a conversation just full of questions and doubts and why is this happening? I think Psalm 62.8 describes the essence, the heart of what it is God intends for us to do as we pray to him. This is what it says. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. God does not tell us to get our hearts right and our words organized and then come to him and talk to him. All he asks is that we, we pour out our hearts to him. We tell him what's going on on the inside. And that's why as you read through the Psalms, you will often find yourself thinking, I can't believe they just said that. They sound angry. They actually sound hateful. Is God okay with that? They sound like they don't even know if God can be trusted. But it's what was on their hearts, and it's what God wants us to pray, if that's what's in our hearts. As if God is shocked to hear what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts. God already knows that, but it's not until we say what's in our hearts, oftentimes, that we hear it and it can begin to be dealt with. But if you're like most people, me included, you oftentimes struggle to find the words to describe, to say what's on your heart. This is why God gave us the book of Psalms. These are prayers that teach us how to pray. Not by giving us theories on prayer, principles on prayer, but by just giving us a bunch of prayers. So how do you use this book? Well, 
It's pretty simple. You read a psalm, and then you pray that psalm. You may pray it word for word, or you may take the ideas and put it in your own words. You read a psalm, you pray it. The next day, read another psalm, pray that psalm. On you go. That's it. Nothing fancy. So why is it that most of us struggle to pray? I think one of the big reasons is we get distracted by life. I mean, prayer doesn't demand our attention. None of us wake up in the morning saying, I've got to pray, unless we're in desperate straits. So we tend not to pray until we do get desperate. And I think prayer is like all meaningful conversation. It, it takes place against the backdrop of competition for our mind and distraction. Conversations, I think we all know this, that conversations need space to occur. In the busyness of life, we, we will talk to each other, even to God, but it won't be a conversation. It'll, it'll be just a transaction, an exchange of information, what we need, what we want. This is what tends to happen in my marriage. If you're married, maybe it happens in your marriage too. We start our day. At some point, either me or my wife will say, so what's your day look like? She'll describe it. <laughs> She'll ask what my day looks like. We'll describe it. We'll talk about how we need to coordinate some things, what we need from each other, what's going to go on for the day. And then we'll basically say, love you, bye, and we take off. And that's good. That's helpful. But if that's all we do, I never know what's going on in her heart, and she doesn't know what's going on in my heart. So we've learned that in our relationship, if it's going to grow and survive the busy pace of life, we have got to carve out time to talk, to set aside the clamoring distractions and listen to each other and talk to each other. And that takes effort. And it's the same thing with God. The first psalm, psalm number one, isn't a prayer. It is an invitation from God to do just this, to take the time to listen to him and talk to him, to just sit down and spend time with him. Here's what it says, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here's what happens with our days. Every day we wake up and we're confronted by a clamoring world, a world that's full of the news and the words of others. And then as soon as we open our calendars or think about our calendars, our minds get working on the challenges of our particular day. And if we live with others, their moods and their needs are added to our moods and our needs. And none of this invites us to pray. None of us invites this to sit down and 
meditate on God's word, listen to what he has to say, and then respond. Pray back to him. So why would we pray regularly and consistently? Psalm 1, this set of verses I just read, tells us basically that there are two reasons why people pray. This is not two reasons why people should pray. This is two reasons why people who pray actually do pray. What is it that causes someone to pray consistently? There are two things, right anticipation and right practices. We're going to look at both of these this morning. But it begins with right anticipation. Part of the reason we don't pray is we vastly underestimate its value. We don't anticipate what it really is. And so to realign our anticipation, we are given the image of a fruitful tree. We're going to unpack this a little bit. But the first word in the first psalm, the book on prayer, points to the anticipation that moves us towards spending time with God, the right anticipation. The first word in this book is the word blessed. That word means simply to be happy or fortunate. It is the promise of happiness that causes our anticipation to rise and gets us moving towards whatever it is we think will deliver the anticipated happiness. That's what anticipation is attached to, the promise of happiness, of good things. For example, for me, in two weeks, we plan to spend a week of vacation with our entire family on a farm outside of Salinas. We've done this for years. I have absolutely no problem getting motivated for this trip, doing whatever work is required to prepare for that. Why? My anticipation is high. I'm excited about the fun that we've had there, and I anticipate we'll have more. I look forward to the great conversations that often occur as we sit under those big trees in those Adirondack chairs and listen to the wind blow through those trees and watch the strawberry fields all around us and the grandkids play. I love watching the grandkids play on the farm. It's so fun to see city kids just get dirty and muddy and not have to worry about cars or anything. But when it comes to time with God in prayer... I'm not nearly as motivated and as excited as I am about Salinas. Why? I have a very different anticipation for time with God. I mean, I know it's good. I do enjoy it. But I wouldn't say that it's fun. I mean, occasionally it is, honestly. There have been some really fun moments with God. But not Salinas fun. So my anticipation is, is lower when it comes to time with God. But Psalms 1 would say that I've got it all wrong. And if you're like me, you've got it all wrong. If we could get a glimpse of what is really going on when we spend time with God, listening to Him and praying to Him, it would realign the level of our anticipation around that moment. So we are given the image of a tree to help us realign our anticipation. So here's what's interesting. We open the largest book of the Bible, the book dedicated to the instruction of prayer. And in the first chapter, we are told to go and find a tree, sit down in front of it, and ponder how it got there. Now, it doesn't take long if you do that for you to recognize that what you're looking at owes its very existence 
to what you cannot see. This vast root system that's depicted in this particular picture that's under every healthy and strong tree, that supports the tree, that draws nourishment into the tree, that allows the tree to produce fruit. And what Psalms 1 says is this is what time with God is like. This is what you should anticipate. It is the support system for your life that no one sees but you and God. I have no way of knowing if you spent any time with God yet today, and you have no way of knowing if I did. Like the roots of a tree, it's invisible to the public eye. But this is what really makes a life blessed. That's what Psalm 1 says. It says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, to be clear, most likely this is not describing a tree in a rainforest because of where these prayers were compiled and written. This was not written in a jungle. This was written in a desert climate. This is a tree that's planted in a desert, not in a jungle. When these 150 psalms were collected and made into a prayer book, Israel was in exile in Babylon, which is now modern-day Iraq. And I think we've seen enough of Iraq to know it's just pretty much a desert with two exceptions. There's two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, that run through the middle of Iraq. And so what had happened in the time when these prayers were compiled is the Babylonians had cut a network of irrigation channels off of these rivers to provide more opportunities for produce and trees and crops. And it was by these irrigation canals that the people of Israel lived at the time that these prayers were compiled. And they knew, better than most of us know, by experience that the desert is no friend to life. In the same way that this world is no friend to happiness. We are trying to grow happiness in a desert. That's what we face in this world. But this tree never fails to produce, no matter the circumstances. Why? The reason is that it is positioned near a water source that can bring life up through the roots and into the tree. So again, why am I more excited about my upcoming trip to Salinas than time with God today? I would say, if you're like me, it's because our anticipation span is too short. We anticipate this distance, not this distance of time. We anticipate the happiness promised by a day at Disneyland or a week at Salinas, but not time with God. We anticipate what might make for a good day, but not what will make for a good life. It's the distance, the time horizon. Our framework of, of time is, is off when we anticipate the things that will make us happy in the near term, but not in the long term. And the reason is we actually think, and you hear this over and over again in our culture, we think that one good day after another makes for a good life, but it doesn't. It's one 
rightly lived day after another that makes for a good and happy life. That's very different. And that's because our lives are more like a tree than a field of wheat. In this psalm, the image of the wicked and the righteous, which simply means people who reference God and people who don't reference God. It's not talking about morally nice people and morally horrible people. It's just talking with or without God. The image of those two are contrasted between a field of wheat and a tree. For the wicked, those who do not live God-referenced lives, at the end of their life, we are told, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. What's chaff? Chaff is what's it's the husk. It's what's left over after you eat the kernel of grain. And it's light, and the wind just carries it off. And who knows where it ends up? Now, in the Bible, as I said, the word wicked isn't just for the Hitlers of the world. It means without God. And naturally, that's the kind of life we all live. We've all turned from God. Our, our initial reflex is simply to pursue happiness in a way we think will make us happy, not in a way that God says will make us happy. And as we pursue happiness without God, we build a life that is like chaff blowing in the wind. We have nothing to show for it. But our feeling are moments of fleeting and unstable periods of happiness. You know, every little grain is like a moment of happiness that nourishes our longing for blessing. But it's gone and the chaff blows in the wind and then we move on to the next kernel of, hap kernel of happiness and the next one and the next one. The, the, the issue, though, is we were not created to pursue personal happiness like wheat that must be planted and grown every year. We were created to grow happiness like a tree. See, a tree is perennial. You plant it, and then it grows year after year after year. And its roots go deeper. And it takes much longer before it produces fruit. So that's the tree. The water that grows the roots you know, draws the nutrients through the roots and produces the fruit of happiness over time, we are told in this psalm is the law of God, his words recorded in the Bible. And it's as we, as it says, delight in God's words and meditate on God's words that we experience the anticipated blessing. Now, to meditate in the Bible simply means to think about the words often enough and long enough repeatedly, so that we actually begin to do them. It produces fruit. So prayer, again, as I said before, isn't the beginning of the conversation. It's not something we initiate because God spoke first. He gave us his words first. Prayer is really us responding to what he said, his law. So if we're going to really pray properly, we must Listen to at least some of what he said in order for us to respond to it. You've had the frustration of someone just starting a conversation. You don't even know what they're talking about. They haven't listened to you. This is what a, a prayer is without any reference to what God has already said. Now, the word that best describes the words of God in this psalm is the word law. 
And that's a challenge for us. That's the word that's used because we hear law and what do we think of? Rules, right? That's what a law is here. Traffic laws, rules. Tax laws, rules. God's laws, rules. But that's not what this word means. This is a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is Torah. When we talked about Judaism a few weeks ago, we mentioned this word. That's the Hebrew word for law. It's God's law, the Torah. And the word Torah comes from the verb yara, which means to throw something. The word literally means to throw something, kind of like a, a javelin. So the idea is that God's words have this aimed and personal nature to them. God has spoken his words to all of us, but when we pick up those words, a javelin, and we read them and meditate on them, a javelin is thrown. And when that javelin hits the bullseye of our heart, we're not the same. It gets inside of us personally and changes us. If you've been reading the law of God for some time, you've had many of these experiences. Let me just give you a personal one of mine just a couple weeks ago. I was feeling, I was slipping into self-pity. I was feeling underappreciated. Honestly, I can't remember what I was feeling underappreciated about, but that was the mood I was in, the kind of woe is me, self-pity, completely unhelpful frame of mind. But that's what I was sinking into. And then I sat down with God, and I began to go over some verses. And I came across this verse that I know well and have read many times. But as I read it, it was like a javelin was thrown and struck me in the heart. Here's what I read. Therefore, since through God's, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 1, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. I was drawn to the, we don't lose heart, because I was losing heart. It was like, oh, that's me, bullseye. But what really struck me in a way that I hadn't seen before was what connects to the why we don't lose heart. It's because of God's mercy that we have a chance to minister to anyone. It's not just speaking to professional ministers like me. It's speaking to all of us in the, the ministry of whatever God has called us to do, to care for and help and love the people God has put in our lives. And I began to see this isn't a burden that I am underappreciated for. This is a privilege that I get to do, and I will spend all of eternity looking back on these moments of privilege and opportunity to really love people and care for them. And when that javelin hit my heart, it was almost like a switch flipped in my heart. And I went from self-pity to gratitude. Now, I don't know of anything else that can change a heart that, that quick. And this has happened to me again and again. I pick up God's word, I read it, I meditate it, and it hits me exactly where I am that day. That's amazing. So this is not a passive process, though. We're not just kind of walking around, ooh, the javelin of God's word nails us. No, we have to read them. We have to meditate on them. If they're going to find their intended target in our heart. So in a way... 
God's words are the javelin. He guides them precisely on mark, but we've got to pick them up and throw them. So in a sense, in this analogy, I know it's a little weird, but we are the throwers and the target. So we, we pick it up and we throw it, and then we run around and God guides it, and it hits us. That's what happens when we spend time with God. And that activity requires practice. That brings us to the second reason why people do pray, is they have established the right practice. Now, the practice isn't like methods and tricks and, you know, here's where you should do and here's five things you should do. It's, it's a pattern of life. Let me, let me go into this. If you pick up a javelin and aim it at a target this afternoon, how likely is it that you'll hit a bullseye? Not likely at all. Why? Well, I know for me, I've never picked up a javelin. Maybe you did in track and field. I never did. And so you're not a skilled javelin thrower. I'm not a skilled javelin thrower. Javelin throwing is a skill that must be practiced. It's the same with God's words. Maybe you've picked up the Bible. Maybe you haven't. But we all need to practice throwing the words of God at our hearts. So we practice, and God guides the javelin of his words to the center of the target. The first verse of this first psalm identifies the three practices that we must work on. These are the, the three times whenever our soul is growing roots. These are the three, whenever we're walking, whenever we're standing, and whenever we're sitting. Now, these are physical postures that speak to the position of our heart, that is the practice of listening to God's word. So let's look through these. Practice number one is walking. This speaks to the decisions of your life. As it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. When you're walking, it's because you're heading somewhere. Nobody's walking right now because you've arrived at the destination you intended to go to. Now, this is a risk. If someone stands up now and leaves, if you have to go to the bathroom, feel free to do so. But if someone does, it's because, oh, they've got another destination in mind. So now they're walking. When you are not walking, you are deciding. Your mind is trying to figure out, where should I go next? And therefore, you need counsel to guide your decisions. And you have two options that are presented here in this psalm. You can either walk in step with the wicked, which means, again, not the really horrible people of this life, but the people for whom God's ways and his words are really not even a consideration. This is not even a thought. We just make our decisions about what we think is best, what other people think, on we go. That's walking in step with the wicked. Option two is your delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, your greatest joy as you make your decisions is to apply God's law to your walking, to your deciding. Now, again, walking in step with the wicked does not involve finding a really evil person and asking them for input on a particular decision. Now, this counsel is everywhere. It, it's what's embedded in every culture that has ever been, ours included. So for us right now, if you want to get the counsel of the wicked, just do nothing and you'll get the counsel of the wicked. 
It's in every show you watch. It's in almost every article that you read. It's almost in every conversation that you hear. Our culture, like every culture, carries the popular ideas that guide most decisions, and they do not reference what God thinks. So getting counsel from the wicked will happen automatically. Javelin throwing will not happen automatically. You will need to pick up the Bible and throw it. Now, not literally. Read it. Meditate on it. I recommend that you carve out time every day to listen to God's words. And then talk to him about your day and whatever decisions you face or are considering in the future. If you're looking for a place to start, you might just start with Psalms. Read one Psalm, think about your day, and then pray through that Psalm. And then do the same thing the next day for the next Psalm. So that's practice number one. Practice number two is standing. This speaks about the people you allow in your heart, the people in your life, or stand in the way that sinners take. So you usually stop walking and start standing in order to talk to somebody. So this practice is about the people you let into your life and have the largest influence on you. Now, how does this help you personally hear words from God? Let me ask you this. If you want to become a skilled javelin thrower, what would you do? You'd probably buy a javelin, right? You need a javelin if you're going to learn how to throw one. And then, you know, now, these days, what we all do is you try to find javelin-throwing videos on YouTube, right? <laughs> try to figure out, you know, how to throw a javelin. And then you'd want to get a really big field somewhere <laughs> and practice. But if you really wanted to learn how to throw a javelin, you'd be really wise to find some other javelin throwers who have more knowledge and skill that can help you learn how to throw a javelin. This is what happens with God's words. It is in the presence of other Torah listeners, other javelin throwers, that we learn how to hear what God is saying to us through his word. This has been so true for me. So much of what I know now about how to listen to God, I've learned from watching other people listen to God. This is why here at Seabreeze we talk about our growth groups being such a key part of what we do as a church. A growth group meets about 90 minutes once a week, and in those groups we get to hear how the words of God have hit the hearts of other people. And as you hear this, you learn about how to throw the javelin in such a way where God can guide it to hit your heart. You see, if we're not intentionally stopping to have conversation with other javelin throwers and other listeners, we most likely are standing in the way that sinners take. That's the default standing position. And that brings us to practice number three. This is the attitude that shapes your life. Or sit in the company of mockers. The, things that, the thing about the human heart, you know, the soul, is that it, it has a couple of settings that either close it off or open it up. And this is what this is talking about. You see, if you do enough walking, you do enough standing, you'll eventually sit down. Same thing happens to our hearts. We, we tend to end up in one of two destinations in our heart. We either end up in the mocking mode or the listening mode. 
When we mock, what does the word mock mean? Mockers look down on and criticize. That's the position of mocking. Mocking. So when you are in a mocking position, and by the way, our culture is, we are mockers, all of us, whatever, whatever side of any issue, nobody's listening anymore, everyone's just mocking. And therefore, every, the hearts are just hard and shut down because there's no listening. You can't listen and mock at the same time. The heart switches from one to the other. You, you can't do both simultaneously. If you spend enough time walking in step with the wicked and standing in the way of the sinners, you will sit down on your high throne of mockery and think you know better than even God. This is just what will happen to all of us. If, on the other hand, you listen, you have delighted in listening to God's words, what will happen? He'll prosper whatever you do. Now, let me be clear on this prospering because we hear prosper and we think, Money and trips and that car I've always wanted, and that's, that's grain. Little kernels of grain that leave chaff blowing in the wind. That's not going to bring real happiness. Now, the prospering isn't the daily happiness buzz that most people pursue. It's more like the fruit that occurs in season. So the question we have as we begin to ponder Psalms is, do we want to be blessed today or do we want to build a life that is a blessing over the span of our life psalm 1 1 through 3 the first three verses let me read them again blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the lord and who meditates on his law day and night that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for initiating the conversation with us. We're not worthy of a relationship with you. It's a bit of a mystery why you love us enough to speak to us, but you do. And now we have the opportunity to listen to you and then respond, talk to you. God, I pray that you would shift our hearts from the mode of mocking to the mode of listening. You would fill us with the beginning seeds of anticipation of a life built like a, grown like a tree in the desert, next to the irrigation of your words. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.